This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. TL Talk Radio, Season 5, Episode 23. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 23 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funy-Hetton and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funy-Hetton. Good afternoon, Randy. Good afternoon. Who do we have on the show today? So today, we're speaking with Neil and Christina Heffernan and their work on assistments. And assessments is a powerful data tool in which teachers receive detailed, immediate feedback on student work, helping them to focus their instruction and making the classroom experience more effective for students. So let's start with a little bit about Neil. Uh, he's the project director and co-founder of Assistments, uh, and Assistments is a free service to schools run by WPI. He's a professor of computer science and the director of the PhD program in learning sciences and technology. He developed assessments not only to help teachers be more effective in the classroom, but also so that he could use the platform to conduct studies to improve the quality of education. He's very passionate about educational data mining. And joining Neil is also our project co-founder, Christina Heffernan. Christina began her career in education as a math teacher in the Peace Corps. She went on to teach middle school math in the inner city and at an elite private school. She began working with teachers um, while a graduate student at the University of Pittsburgh. And as one of the co-founders of Assessments, Christina has been instrumental in nurturing the system uh, to be a tool for teachers to improve what they already do well in the classroom. All right. So welcome to our podcast, Neil and Christina. Thank you. Thank you. In that introduction, uh, Lynn mentioned WPI, and that's the institution that I believe you're working out of. Can you tell us what is that? Sure, Worcester Polytechnic Institute. It's a place I've been a professor here for uh, about 15 years. And where's that located? In Worcester, Massachusetts, actually about 40 minutes outside of Boston. All right. It's so called the heart of the Commonwealth. Excellent. Well, Pennsylvania is a Commonwealth too, one of the few, I think, that we have in the okay. country. So um, we're going to talk about assessments today. And so um, WPI is like the incubator uh, for this uh wonderful product that we're going to talk about today, this project. So let's start the conversation with, uh, how about a personal story about how uh, you got connected to this idea of education data mining, what we heard is one of your passions, and uh, the development of assistments? Yeah, well, the um, I guess actually um, it, it mostly began when actually Christine and I were both teaching actually middle school mathematics in Baltimore, and I was actually teaching at a school um, uh, I, I was doing this Teach for America program, teaching middle school math, and um, uh, and I was actually at a school 
that actually interestingly kind of required a like a five minute quiz at the beginning of each day. Uh, and I actually uh, talked my principal into let's teach an algebra class to our to our uh, our good eighth and seventh seventh and eighth graders uh, that actually needed it. And uh, she was like, where are you going to get the books? And I got the books donated, but actually, uh, uh, but I was able to use this class. But uh, my principal was like, we got to make sure they also passed the, at the time, the Maryland Functional Math Test, uh, which was the um, state exam that was required at the time to actually graduate from high school in Maryland. Uh, anyways, I gave a fake Maryland Functional Math Test. Uh, um, and because I knew every one of my algebra kids could actually make sure they learn every one of the topics of of the Maryland functional math test which was adding multiplying dividing uh fractions decimals uh whole numbers and percents um but with with enough time and so um anyways i wound up actually doing by hand something that i was like i could get computers to do uh and so uh being able to give enough practice so i could teach a normal algebra class but also uh, detect which kids uh, are missing things. Um, and uh, Neil had a big chart on the wall and so that there was all the kids' names and each one of their skills. And then there was a quiz that went with each skill that was given out each day. And if you got it wrong, then this happened. And as a computer scientist or someone who had studied computer science as an undergraduate, you recognized there's an if-then statement there. <laughs> That's what that I just can, made the connection to. be programmed in. And so the idea that you could computerize some of this and um, and yet, because we were teachers and and worked with students in classrooms and understood the workings of teaching, when we started building assessments, we never wanted to leave the teacher out of that that loop. And so, while you have these if-then-else statements and, and little things that computers can do, and we recognized that we didn't want to leave the teacher out because in Neil's little program that he did at the at the Catholic school, he was always there on the on the day that it was time to work on that skill to help the kids work on the skill. It was the, the quizzing system that helped him know he needed to work on that skill that day. So there's this combination of the teacher and the tool. And that's sort of how the, the, the assessments came about. So what sounds really interesting about this is that it really grew out of your practice and you were you saw a problem of practice and you thought up a solution that could make it work a little bit more effectively and efficiently too. So right. I, I think that connection to practice is really interesting. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about the powerful tool assessments. Um, how was so, it developed? Oh yeah, right. So um, uh, so uh, after I got my PhD at Carnegie Mellon in the computer science department, actually pretty quickly, um, uh, I wrote my first uh, assessment grant uh, and I was able to get the funding from the U.S. Department of Education, basically starting a, a long tradition of actually Christina and I um, getting federal research dollars to actually build uh, powerful tools uh, and to do research actually with them. And all of the funding, and we, the reason why it's free is because um, every time I build a new feature and put it as part of the assessments infrastructure, it actually... It's just yet another thing we can give away. But what is it? It's it's there's three there's three F's: free, flexible, and feedback. So um, uh, that's why we give it away as a free service. Free, flexible is teachers get to actually write their own questions or pick questions from the library we actually have, uh, and then it gets feedback. That is key thing is kids get immediate feedback. 
Uh, and so uh, we started, um, well, uh, we, we started a big grant in the state of Maine where we actually, um, where we took every seventh grade math textbook that was actually being used in the state um, and we put the answers in. So a teacher could start to adopt actually uh, this tool without changing their curriculum. And I think the second thing, Neil, Neil tends to, to emphasize the students getting feedback and that's really important. But the other side of the coin is the teacher getting feedback. Mm -hmm. And so that, that feedback part has two, has two sides to it. Um, so the student might be working alone at home and um, they get to put their answer in. It's as simple as that. They get the answer, but instead of going on and doing the next problem and, if, and having gotten both of them wrong, they might, they'll find out if they got one right or wrong. They can maybe mm -hmm. adjust, hopefully with enough, enough information and get the next one right or not. Mm -hmm. I mean, those things happen. But the, the next part is that all of that data, since it's put into a database and into the system, can then be pushed back to the teachers in a form of a report. So she can then, or he can deal with that data the next day in class with the whole group. And so usually when you think of, of technology, you think of the student pacing and students going at their own pace. But this idea is actually contributing to the students as a group. Mm -hmm. And the, the some other people we work with have used the term effervescence of the classroom. So with the data, the teacher can then inform that effervescence and move the classroom discussion to, to respond to what happened the night before mm -hmm. at home. And I think one of the differences here, and um, maybe you can clarify, is that the data is ongoing and immediate um, versus the, the students taking a benchmark or something that they take a full battery and then the teacher uses that to um, right. to guide and the instruction in general for the, the week or the month. This happens immediately. Yes. And typically those things are not, those questions aren't chosen by the teacher. Mm-hmm. So when the teacher is done with their lesson, like they, they orchestrate the lesson, when they're done, they usually give a homework assignment. That is not a atypical activity. Right. What's not typical is finding out before the kids come back from the, the evening mm -hmm. how it went. So you're but not spending that 40 minutes going over homework and trying to evaluate the homework yes. and understand so what you need to you really revolutionize that homework mm -hmm. routine. Mm -hmm. It can be used and it is used in other routines in the classroom. But the homework one is the one that is the most easy to make sense of. Um, and yeah. So you're both academics and researchers creating this uh, opportunity for teachers and students to get immediate feedback. What's the research base um, that supports the power of this particular uh, initiative here? So um, about actually five years ago, the federal government actually funded SRI to do a large scale randomized control trial where we recruited actually 44 schools in the state of Maine, um, and half of them were able to start right away, and the other half actually had to wait two years. Uh, and so it was like a medical quality drug trial, what you do to determine the effectiveness of a drug. We don't do that enough in education. Anyways, I'm glad that SRI did that. We, um, they came out with three main results uh, that were presented in 2016 um, uh, at the White House. Uh, and three big findings were, one, teachers changed how they went over homework. The next day, they actually focused on a small number of questions that actually lots of kids did wrong, uh, instead of actually just um, kind of the normal homework way of, you know, here, here are the answers and, and kind of maybe not use the first minutes of time, class time actually most effectively. 
Second finding was actually they improved student learning on a standardized measure by actually over 70% above and beyond what normally actually happens in a given year. Um, and probably the third finding that was important and that is near and dear to our hearts is actually we, we were able to show that actually compared to some other ed tech products that actually do really well for motivated kids and then leave actually the kids that are maybe not so motivated, think like MOOCs, like these massively online courses, like, you know, if you're really motivated, you can go learn. They uh, found that actually um, students that were below the median in the prior year test score learned actually a full extra grade level worth of knowledge while still actually making it so that there was like a 40% gain for the high knowledge kids. So it really was helping close achievement gaps, not exacerbate them. So it sounds like some powerful findings. Is it content agnostic? Could it be used in any subject area or is it more focused in, in certain areas that you've seen? So, so uh, right. And so uh, once you've actually put in actually the content, then it's the platform is, is content agnostic. I happen to use assessments in my artificial intelligence class. I make up open-ended questions. Uh, and then I use this to go over questions the next day uh, as children are trying to explain to me their understanding of concepts. So in one sense, it's a really dumb platform uh, that you can use for anything. Now, um, most teachers don't want to type all the questions from their book into a, a website. Uh, and so um, we've used federal grant funding to do that sort of thing. And we're doing that now in the middle school uh, uh, space. We're actually applying for grants right now to extend this into other more easier domains that are easy to imagine. Uh, high school chemistry, high school physics are where lots of answers are answered with numbers is the next logical spot to move this. Uh, yeah, so the answer, the answer types could there's there's some that fit other subjects better or you know like different answer types one of the um most exciting places where we've been able to get a lot of traction is these open educational resources so there's these new math curriculums that are are published under the creative commons and with those we're able to put their the questions into assessments so we have we've done that for engage new york open up illustrative math and um utah math and with that, you've got this nice sort of synergy between a curriculum, which allows teachers to go moving along. They have lesson plans and lesson ideas, but then the practice problems are in assessments. And it's the student, the teacher can still select the one, the problems they want to assign the way I was describing earlier. And, um, and then get the feedback, get the information, the data that they want. So in essence, you can put anything in there you want, but you've already built a lot of content in for teachers if they want to go yeah. look at some of those basic content ideas right. um, that are that are generally core curriculum for teachers. Right. And you find you find teachers who really like to just use what's there, and then there's but there's always the teacher who wants to build their own thing. And they, they want it to fit exactly with what they did that day. Mm -hmm. And they might want to change and edit a question um, to reflect their school mascot, or they might want to write their own questions themselves. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that makes total sense. And, and it probably varies too by lesson and topic and purpose and use. So yeah. you've shared with us a little bit of the research and you've talked to us about the tool. Um, could you give us a couple of other examples of how teachers are using and students are using assessments in their classrooms behind, beyond the idea of homework or um, any other ideas that you'd like to share? 
Well, um, I'll tell you the thing that super excites me right now. So these uh, these open educational textbooks like A Lust for Mathematics mm -hmm. and Engage New York and Utah Math, uh, there's kind of a perfect storm happening right now. I had a platform ready to actually be ready to take advantage of this. These are free, actually, textbooks. I think we've had um, uh, I think we've had 400 actually teachers using a Lust for Mathematics start mm. this year mm. and adopting our platform. What I get really excited about is I have other federal grants where we're actually um, funding teachers to actually uh, crowdsource teacher explanations to kids for these exact questions. Because uh, when you think about it, there's 30,000, say, seventh grade math teachers in America. If we just get a small percentage of them to actually write explanations for their kids, then we can actually share uh, and try to learn which, which explanations to give to which kids. Uh, I'm trying to actually turn assessments uh, into something like actually what Jimmy Wales did. So Jimmy Wales was the guy that created the Wikimedia platform. That actually, um, he didn't write the encyclopedia entries that everyone knows as Wikipedia, he built the platform. I built the platform for assistance and I'm now trying to actually crowdsource uh, from teachers and also from children actually stuff so that we can sh share and learn what is best uh, on top of actually these free textbooks like Engage New York or Illustrative Mathematics. So I think what's really interesting about companioning with illustrative math mathematics is some teachers might look at that program it's um, or conceptual framework for teaching math. It's very, well, okay, so our listeners can't see, but the book is like inches thick, right? And there's not the same kinds of assessment resources that many teachers may be accustomed to having in a math text series or program. And now you've sort of supplemented and improved upon what's available with that program, readily available, and um, help teachers make some connections between that framework and a, a textbook that they may have been using previously that has additional teacher resources. Right. And so we let them use the exact same problems that are in mm -hmm. the illustrative map, but they could add a couple more if they want to. And with what Neil was saying with the crowdsourcing, maybe we can get even more added to them and have them connected to that. And in fact, in fact, one of the things that I see that lots of people actually say about illustrative and actually engaged New York is, is they're really challenging, right? They're really right. rigorous. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet some kids need actually more help uh, and they don't have enough practice problems of actually some of the holes that they're sometimes missing. Mm -hmm. So my goal is to actually help let teachers actually do individual daily units of say a lesson mathematics or engaged New York and like stay, try to stay on grade level, but recognize some kids are gonna need to be able to do extra problems that when if they mess up problem number one and that's the only one that was in there for a lesson for mathematics practicing that, we wanna let teachers actually write new questions. We, we call these same as that ones. So that if a child messes something up and they need to be able to give more practice, mm -hmm. how can we design a world that gives some adaptivity but yet still keeps the teacher firmly in control that this is what you're doing for homework. Some kids might have to do a few extra problems to actually maintain, hmm. to reach some proficiency. Mm -hmm. So uh, talk to us about some stories of students and teachers actually using this and what sort of slivers of success have you seen from them? So we, have a, um, we had a teacher who would give his homework every night and um, then in the morning he would take the homework assignment pick the problems that the students did poorly on, click, make a copy, rewrite the problem, sort of that same as that one that Neil was just describing. And then instead of going over the homework in that kind of boring, like here's what's going on, he would 
as they're due now, give them two problems that were just like the ones they did the night before. Because the whole paradigm is switched. Be, those problems that the student did the night before, they were given feedback on. They may or may not have been given any hints, but they were at least told that they were wrong. Mm -hmm. They were in the midst of a unit, which means they have some form of notes or information from class. So they were able to dig into the problem that they didn't get right on the first try, try to figure it out, kind of knowing, oh, I wonder if this is going to be one of the ones that my teacher picks for the do now tomorrow. And then at the do now tomorrow, they do a similar problem, the same as that one. And then after the students have done that one, he, they either show success, we got it, and then there can be some success there, or they have to talk about it. And it's those conversations that the class has about the, um, those problems that I think is really exciting. And that's exciting for the teachers as well, because they get to be involved. They use technology, but they also get to use the, the, the skills that they've been wanting to develop as educators, mm -hmm. which is conversation and discussion. Mm -hmm. Maybe another interesting example would be actually um, uh, Chris Lesage. Chris Lesage was a math teacher in Maine, uh, and he wrote feedback messages for every question in his textbook. Um, that was about four years ago. Oh my um, gosh. I was, I was too dumb to guess that actually anyone would do that. So all the other teachers that were using that same book, they couldn't actually decide, oh yeah, let me review Mr. Lucige's stuff and actually adopt that uh, for me. We've now actually built out this technology to actually crowdsource from the teachers. Most mm -hmm. teachers don't want to do what Chris Lucige did, mm -hmm. right? But if we have just a tiny fraction of them that do, then how can we share that with the world and learn uh, what stuff to give to which kids at sure. the right time? Mm -hmm. I, I have another do now story. Okay. Um, one of, one of our teachers teaches at, at a city school and um, has an ELL class. You know, a lot of, they, they're disrupted learners. So these are learners who are, are, are high school students, but had had much, very disruptive elementary and middle school education. And they're new, new to the United States for the most part. Um, and she just picks a few skills and one at a time launches them for her do nows and then the, the whole class competes to get their, their average, their class average up to a certain point. So she can do this instantly. Her focus is on this mini competition amongst ourselves, but she's not calculating the, the percentages. That's all done by assessments. She just puts the question in, they all solve it. Immediately they get their results and they say, okay, we did it or tomorrow we're gonna try to do better as a group. So the kids are now vying, they, they know who didn't, didn't succeed and they try to help that person understand the math and the next day they check again mm -hmm. and it might take four or five times and she's doing things like you know simple equation solving and they're really glomming onto that data as a team and one day I guess they got to their 85 percent correct they cheered they went to the board <laughs> a kid wrote it big on the board and then they took a picture and she loves to show that picture and it makes us all cry mm -hmm. um, so it's it's that ability to get the information quickly so that you can respond. We all know that about formative assessment. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of making it practical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks for sharing that story, Christina. It is, it is powerful when our um, teachers and learners experience success and celebrate it, right? Right, exactly. So I'm a, I'm a teacher. I'm listening to this podcast and learning about assessments for the first time. I go to the website. 
Um, is it easy enough for me to just pick this up on my own or is there training available? Are there online resources to learn how to do this? So we have, we have help pages and we have a YouTube channel. And so you can watch some videos of teachers talking about it. It's a lot of it's picking up the paradigm that you're in charge, which then makes it more work for the teacher. And yet it's the type of work the teachers want to do, but, but they have to know that and get, make sense of that. And then there's help pages with, um, a combination of videos and little text information so they can work through that. It does take a, a moment to get an account, uh, unless you're using Google Classroom. Then you can just go to classroom.assistments.org and you can get in and we, it's the, it's the schools tagging the teachers as teachers that allows us to keep the answer keys out of the hands of the students. Mm -hmm. so they can <laughs> Oh, a good point. I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and and that's, it's an interesting paradigm, right? The cheating issue. Um, what, what I find and what teachers that I work with find is that when the data is flying on a 24-hour cycle, the teacher can begin to train the students to understand that this, these aren't grades. These points are, you know, we're going to do poorly because it's homework. We should be doing poorly. If everyone's getting an 85 to 100% on homework, I'm not doing a good job because I'm not assigning you things that are making you struggle. So that takes weeks to train the students to understand that the data is about us learning. And if you really do get that in there, cheating can disappear because it's just not point, there's no reason. It's when you get stressed out and the, the points matter so much that cheating starts to happen. And so um, it's a it's a shift for the students, but it, having the data fly so fast, uh, I believe, helps with that transition of for the students and the teachers. Mm -hmm. But the teacher has to be on board with sure. that. Sure. Yeah. That doesn't always happen either. But that's I mean, kind of out of my control. Right. It, it's a mindset, right? Like, and it's also a willingness to want to go look at that data first thing in the morning or at night after kids have finished right. the homework, right? <laughs> You're a lot more willing when it's easy. Yeah, sure. So you have to do the work ahead of time. You get that routine going. Once you've learned that, getting the data is nothing. Mm -hmm. um, and so now the exciting part is going, oh, my goodness, 25% of my students said 52 and, and, you know, 60 was the answer. Oh, they all, oh, wow, okay. So now we get to go talk about that tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's invigorating for a teacher. Sure. So before we invite you to share with us what you're working on next or now, uh, we have a few lightning round questions for you. So first question, who is one expert our listeners should connect with to learn more about data mining and feedback issues? Uh, so uh, I think actually Ryan Baker, a professor at the University of Pennsylvania, um, is, uh, is someone that I've done a lot of work with. Um, he also wrote a great paper that actually... Um, I think it's actually called something like actually smart, um, smart humans, stupid computers, mm -hmm. uh, which is really actually he's one of the few uh, people in educational data mining uh, that really understand how we should be building infrastructure like assistance that actually knows teachers are the intelligent beings in the classroom. Right. And we don't want to hand over all of um all of the programming to a computer like we don't want to just put kids in front of computers and let them go and some ed tech products do that uh he's written a great piece on that and he was also the past president of the educational data mining uh conference and um, society and journal hmm. christina anyone you would like to add 
Um, I I got a lot out of this um, James Popham's transformative assessment. And the idea that you really want to be focusing on assessments and formative assessment as a tool for learning. And he, he, he sort of breaks it down into very simple forms that there's no tech in his, his book, but you can definitely overlay his ideas on what we do on a daily basis with assessments. Okay, second question. Um, if you were recommending one book to our listeners, maybe a different um, topic, what would you recommend? So, uh, so uh, this is a gentleman that I just got to meet in the last year named Aldrich Bozer, uh, who wrote a book actually uh, called Learn Better, uh, Mastering the Skills uh, for Success in Life, Business, and School, or How to Become an Expert in Just About Anything. Um, and I think he does a great job of actually um, uh, sharing the insights that actually cognitive scientists are actually helping us understand about how to help people learn better. Uh, um, feedback, quick feedback actually is one of those, you know, but lots of kids think they should actually go highlight in their book uh, and put yellow, yellow highlighters. That's not an effective technique, right? It gives this illusion of learning. And in fact, you need to instead quiz yourself uh, is a much more effective technique. It doesn't feel as good, it doesn't feel like you're learning as much. Uh, and uh, and so anyways, I think his book is actually full of actually useful uh, tips for real humans, not just not just kids and teachers. So we would totally agree with you. And in fact, we podcasted uh, for our listeners season three, episode 14. And we'll link that in the notes so you can uh, maybe jump off of, of this podcast and head over to that one to learn more. Oh, you interviewed him already? Yes, we did. <laughs> we did like that book. Yeah, we did like that. But Christina, would you like to add anything there? Sure. Um, my advisor in graduate school was um, Peg Smith, who wrote The Five Practices, um, which is a math education book about how to orchestrate discussion in a classroom and really um, start to think about the problem that you're giving to the, to the students, setting it up but also then getting the students to talk about the work that they've done in their groups. So she really outlines it. What I like about it is that there's kind of these five steps, which allows um, novice and expert teachers to really get started with the concept. And that's, it's a great, it's a great book. And great that was, idea. so finally, last question, um, before we ask you to share with us a little bit about what you're working on now, uh, what online site or resource or person do you learn from or with regularly? Yes, so um, I like to listen to uh, How I Built This, which is a podcast um, about innovators and, and people who have created uh, companies. And as a, you know, we're, we're entrepreneurs in a way, and we're constantly trying to figure out where assessments goes and how to get it in the hands of teachers. And I find listening to these stories about um, how people who have become successful got there and the interviews with them to be very inspirational keeps me going. And I guess actually, um, I think I learned mostly by actually talking to others that I respect. Uh, so there's, um, there's this journal actually in a society called the Society on Research on Educational Effectiveness that has a journal on uh, research on educational effectiveness, which is kind of the premier place to actually learn what are key new randomized, randomized controlled trials coming out testing actually different educational interventions. 
uh, and we have a conference each year. Uh, it's one of the few conferences I go to, even if I don't have a paper uh, there, because I actually learn uh, so much. All right. So that's always a fun part of the show when our when our guests get to share some of the background that helps them uh, do the work that they've shared with us on the podcast. So our last question for the Heffernans is, what is next for you? Is there anything that you'd like to share with our listeners at this point? I guess I've already shared the general idea of actually the direction we're going on this crowdsourcing angle, but I guess actually something that's happened uh, uh, very recently is we've just been given a million dollars by a recent philanthropy whose name actually I can't disclose yet uh, to actually help us create a nonprofit uh, entity for the Assistance Foundation uh, so that we can actually be kind of more school focused uh, and not just actually feel like actually we're a research shop actually running a service out of our university. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations. That sounds very exciting to get that, get that surge of uh, investment to help you move yeah. forward with your, with your work. Congratulations. Thank you. Christine, is there anything you'd like to add? Um, I'm just excited to be able to, to get out and try to, you know, we're trying to double our, our usage, get teachers um, working with assistants. Our connection with Google Classroom has been a really exciting place to be because it just streamlines and makes the whole process more simple, especially for the students. They just can click on the, on the link. So, um, so that, you know, the, the future of ease of use is kind of something I'm, I'm focusing on and looking into. And, 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 uh, and I guess actually one of the projects we're actually doing right now where we were given $3 million from the federal government to actually do a randomized control trial of this idea in seventh grade mathematics, uh, is we're actually still doing some recruiting actually for schools. So if a school uh, leader actually wants to get the school to join and actually get free professional development for their teachers, uh, of course I said that they can learn lots of this stuff without any assistance, but of mm-hmm. course it's really nice if a leader can bring some professional development support. Uh, there's actually a recruitment site uh, that um, I will share with you and you can put in the notes uh, that uh, school leaders could learn about. Excellent, thank you. Well, thank you so much for sharing um, all of these ideas about assistments. We appreciate the the work and crowdsourcing to create even more ease of use for our teachers, um, as you mentioned, yeah, Christina. We, we like to value the teacher's input, too. Mm-hmm. So for our listeners to learn more about Neil and Christina's work, uh, we've linked in the show notes information about assessments and all of the authors and resources mentioned, including episode uh, 14, season three with Ulrich Bozer. Wonderful. Thank you for having us. All right. Each episode, we leave you with a question to think about with the idea of provoking reflection and conversation. This episode's question... How are teachers in your learning environment using immediate data and feedback to inform instruction? If you've enjoyed this episode, would like to comment or check out the resources shared today, visit the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for Season 5, Episode 23. And that's all for now. We'll be back soon with more conversations featuring other innovative thought leaders. Thanks again, Neil and Christina. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.